welcome to Matt Bread Love Comics. This is one of your hosts, representing Queens, uh, Brett. Yo, yo, and straight out to BK, it's the other host, Matt. Oh, wow, you went kind of like um, auto-tune on the BK there on my end. Yeah. Having Sypha on our show has totally changed our disposition. That's right. That's right. We're uh, we're we're opening ourselves up to new things and trying to be more uh, three sixty. Yeah, um, but yeah. So this is just going to be a little bit of a hangout episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's been uh, it's been a busy summer, man. Yeah. What a summer! I can't even explain. Uh, <laughs> this will be September by the time this goes up. So, what is September it like? It's Labor Day weekend. Yeah. Oh, God. That's got to be so good. It's been a long, long summer. We've, we've done a lot of traveling this summer. We did. Well, yeah. Um, I went to San Diego, Comic-Con, and we both went to Heroes Con in Charlotte. Yeah, and then you were, and then you had, like, a, a cross-country uh, road trip. Oh, yeah. Uh, to St. Louis and Nashville for yeah. the, our, me and my boyfriend's visit all the people we know triangle trek oh and you also went to um to portland mm-hmm. in march oh was that march yeah i have lost complete track of the entire year brett yeah that was no 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 that might have been late april okay might have been late april uh yeah so it was kind of like that was like how gi joe retaliation wasn't really a summer movie, but it felt like a summer movie, and it came out in April. That's what my okay, Portland trip fair. was. It wasn't a summer trip, but it was in April, so it feels like one. Yep. <laughs> I like, it. I like uh, that explanation. But yeah, I mean, you've been busy. Yeah, it's all just boring work. <laughs> I don't know if your work is boring, though. Yeah, I, I mean, not boring, but nothing, nothing that sort of pertains to... Uh, to comics, I've been feverishly reading tons on in between all of my jobs, which has been great. Yeah. But uh, producing producing shows, the the touring season for UCB Torco is ramping up again um, for the fall. As and colleges get back in session. What's that? As colleges colleges start back right. up, right? Right, right. All the schools are starting back up and starting to arrange travel for all of these shows. And um, we booked some huge last-minute additions to some tours, um, doing stuff with um, Mumford and Sons and their Gentlemen of the Road tour. And I've been—that's been—that's been a project putting together. Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been a busy summer there. It's been a busy summer at the bar. I bartend as well for any Matt and Brett listeners that may not know us in person. Um, <laughs> and uh, and we've been feverishly putting together some stuff for uh, for Left Handed Radio and uh, trying to plot what we're going to do for the fall with Matt and Brett Love Comics. Yeah, we got um, a big. Uh, there's a big debut. On the twenty fourth of this month, mm-hmm. on Marvel on on, on Marvel's ABC, <laughs> on ABC's <laughs> Marvel right. Network, uh, Agents of Shield, which we're pretty excited about. Um, now, did you did you see any of it 
when you were out in San Diego, I feel like, I don't even know if we've discussed this. Mm-mm. No, uh, they showed the whole pilot at the, at the panel, but I purposefully requested to not cover any panels that would necessitate me waiting in line for more than an hour. Um, so I didn't. And also I think that CBR shoves the, uh, the seasoned vets into Hall H. Oh, sure, sure. So I missed it. I did get to see, I mean, I saw with everyone else the release of the still of, uh, Maria Hill, Kobe Smulders. Yeah. They announced that she was in the pilot. Um, I'm kind of surprised at how quiet it still seems. Like they showed the whole thing in front of, I guess, hundreds of people and I don't know anything about it still. You know, that's what I was actually going to ask you, if you knew why it had been quiet. Are we creeping in the wrong circles right now, <laughs> or has there really not been a lot of discussion about it? I think, I mean, I've heard that it lives up to the hype and that it is really good. That's what I've heard. That's the only thing I've heard. I think, I wonder if people just, and this is the same thought with, you know, all the um, all the trailers that they show as well. Like yeah. the Guardians and Cap and uh, Thor footage and all that. Like, the, the people in San Diego, there may, there's maybe some sort of, like, unwritten code that, like, we waited a day to get into this panel. This is our thing. Sure. <laughs> it's only, they're only showing it here. So all the other jackasses on the internet didn't have to wait a day. We're all going to just do this. Is, we're going to keep this amongst ourselves. Because if you'll notice, all the footage of the Guardians of the Galaxy teaser... It, all that stuff only leaked after D23. After the D23 Expo, and also um, the X-Men Days of Future Past footage leaked because Brian Singer showed it at a free Q&A event in Canada. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's like all these people that didn't, you know, didn't have as much of a stake in, the, in seeing this footage, they were like, yeah, sure, we'll, well, throw it up. So I'm glad you brought that up, and it's, it's interesting because... Um, I mean, in addition to the show, I, I kind of wanted to speak to you as uh, as the editor, uh, Brett White editor at Splash Page. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been you've spent this past summer uh, professionally covering all of the comic book news, uh, all of the comic book film news, um, rumors, stories, and and analyzing all of that stuff. How's that been for you so far? Uh, it's 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 interesting. It um, it's different because I think me as a fan, I don't I don't seek out that kind of stuff normally as a fan. I tend to I tend to like watching trailers and seeing like posters and official photos. But other than that, I don't really care to look up things. Just spoiler spoiler reasons and just trying to preserve some of the mystery. Um, but thanks to my job, I now kind of feel like I know way too much about Captain America: The Winter Soldier. <laughs> specifically because they shot what felt like the majority of the movie outside in Cleveland. So there yeah. were so many photos of all of those characters, including like, um, uh, well, I'm getting into things, um, including uh, things that I wish I hadn't seen, but, sure. but like, it's still fun. Uh, and it's fun that I kind of have free reign and get to write things that I believe in. And then they get, like shared around, which yeah. is interesting and weird to me. So do you, do you feel do you feel now with a journalist level access to the information for these films that it's um, hampered or or excited you more, or is it a case by case basis? 
kind of a case by case. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think. Like, Amazing Spider-Man Two, I probably would not care about if I didn't have this job and have not had to actively like look up news for it. <clears throat> because like the director Mark Webb was tweeting, was doing a twit pick literally every day that they were shooting of just things from the set or cast people or or on good days like Spider-Man in costume. And when you're an editor that needs another post and you're like, oh, Mark Webb's posted five days worth of twit pics, I'll throw all them up together at once. <laughs> yeah. Like, if I didn't have this job, I would have never looked at his Twitter feed, ever. But having to, and reading all these interviews, I feel like it's made me much more excited about Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, and trying to think if... The only negative... I don't think it's negatively affected anything. I mean, X-Men Days of Future Past, I'm kind of worried about, but that's only just because it just seems overcrowded. I feel like you were worried about that long ago, though. Yeah, I mean, I was. I feel like I was super excited about it, and then I realized, like, because I, I love those original movies, and I love that cast, and I'm excited that all those people are coming back. I think I just, when I realized, when I had this, like, weird, um, realization after Man of Steel came out about, like, people being mad that Man of Steel wasn't their version of Superman yeah. and their ideal version of what a Superman movie should be. I then did the stupid thing of overanalyzing what I think an X-Men movie should be <laughs> to me. Oh, sure. And then I realized that, oh, absolutely none of the X-Men movies actually fit my criteria of what I feel an X-Men movie should be. And this one just seems to be going in the exact opposite direction. I mean, like, in the just further down the direction they were already headed in. And that's not to say that the... I mean, f f four of those movies are good. Uh, Wolverine, First Class, and X1 and X2. Like, I love all those movies. I think they're all really great and really enjoyable and get a lot of things right. But I don't feel like they... They don't feel as undeniably X-Men as, say, Avengers feels undeniably Avengers, I guess. To me. Yeah. Um... And the main reason for that is just gratuitous power cameos. Just characters that in the comics are three-dimensional, fleshed-out characters with a personality that are just like, eh, what can they do? Eh, yeah, throw them in there. <laughs> they can do that. Throw them in there. Throw them in yeah, there. Yeah, put them in. Put them in. Yeah, that and just seeing the fact that great characters like Warpath and Bishop and Sunspot are going to be in this movie. And Blink are all going to be in X-Men Days of Future Past, but I know for a fact that all between all the new characters, they might only have two lines in between all of them. Yep. Uh, Colossus was in two of those movies, and he said one thing. And it you was know, dubbed over, too, wasn't it? Probably. I mean, it was something weird like, nope, haven't seen him, or something like that. It was a yep. non-essential line. Um, but like, that's, like, it's, that's shitty. Like, Colossus is an A-list Marvel character. He's been around for 40 years. He should, you know... He should have as many badass moments as, like, the Hulk does in Avengers. Oh, I agree with that. Yeah. But do, do you feel then, do you feel then that when it, when a situation like that happens with, like, Colossus uh, being demoted to, like, a lesser role in the film, does that then, would you rather it be that he didn't show up at all? Or does that distract you enough that you can't enjoy the rest of the film? No, I mean, I, I, it doesn't bother me as much. I think it's just, like, wasted potential. Like, I didn't... Like, Colossus was by far the least 
one of the lesser problems of X-Men 3. <laughs> oh, um, sure. But, I mean, like, I love X-Men First Class, um, and X-Men First Class gets none of those characters right. I mean, I guess it gets Magneto right. But literally every other character is just some sort of hodgepodge original creation for the movie. And none of them are sure. But, like, that movie is still great, and I, you know, and I, and on the whole, like, I enjoy it. Um, and I also, I think it's also, you gotta understand that things can't be 100% the same. Like, making yeah. Moira, I mean, like, did that really have to be Moira McTaggart? Like, couldn't they have just named it someone else? Probably. Because she was a CIA, like, she had nothing in common with the Moira McTaggart from the comics. That's true. She wasn't even Scottish. But yeah. it's like, whatever, you know? It is a waste of a name. Yeah. Moira McTaggart, and then the person is nowhere near as Scottish as that name would imply. Yeah. And isn't Rose Byrne English? I believe so. And she was speaking with an American accent. I know English yeah. isn't a Scottish accent, but... Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, whatever. It's like three three times removed. Yeah. So this is weird. So I'm uh, not... Yeah, I don't... I'm not... It doesn't... It doesn't distract me. I think it does a lot of people... Um, I, I'm definitely not one of those. I just want to see a good movie, and if I'm entertained, like... X-Men First Class almost brought me to tears at times, because it was just so much fun. Yeah. Um, so I can so, totally look over that stuff. So then, so so you said that a lot of those characters felt like a like a hodgepodge, right? Like a hodgepodge of different... Uh, yeah. Sort of an amalgamation of a bunch of different versions of that character. Is that what you meant? Yeah, or just like weird like plot, like a whole bunch of amalgamation of like plot devices that they need to happen oh, <laughs> or, yeah. or like, yeah. Like why was a Zazel in that movie? Like you could oh, not God. get a more obscure de- <laughs> hated X-Men character than fucking a Zazel. You know what's a, you know what would be hilarious to me is yeah. if a Zazel is like the breakout character of the film and they just like, they make it like the best character in Marvel canon because then people are going to go back and look for his first appearance. And it is just in one of the like most head scratchingly bad stories that ever came out of like X-Men canon. Yeah. The Draco or the Draco. I always said Draco. Yeah. Draco. Yeah. Draco Malfoy. That's yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. Oh boy. That is, um, that is, that, that is such a strange decision to make with that. Like, that's the character that they decide to pull in and pull in um, completely out of continuity in a new era. Yeah. But do, you, but do you feel like, do you ever wonder if the way that Marvel is now building their live action franchises, it's sort of the same way that they built their ultimate franchises 10 years ago? Like... In, like, a streamlined way, or... Well, I like... mean, in the sense that it's the same name, it's the sort of same idea, but they're trying to find a new way to tell the same story uh, 60 years removed from the first time it was told. Yeah. For 50 years. Yeah, and I like... I mean, I love everything they've done with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And the thing that I really love is the fact that all these characters, all the ones in the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, to me, feel like they boiled them down to just the core of their character and then built on top of that. Yeah. Which I love. Instead of, you know, feeling the need to grab everything. Like, Quicksilver in Avengers Age of Ultron, 
is most likely not going to be called a mutant. He's not going to be Magneto's son. Might not even have white hair, you know? Um, like, he's not going to have all these things that we would... If you were going, if you were going to ask us to describe Quicksilver, those are three of the five things you'd say. Yeah. But I trust, just with the track record they have, and Joss Whedon being who he is, that they will still manage to create a character that is undeniably Quicksilver, even if he isn't a mutant or the son of Magneto, and probably doesn't look like him. Right. Like, they'll still get to that, you know, impatient, protective, uh, you know, brash, arrogant character, um, without the need of, like, getting into all the continuity. Yeah. I think it's cool. You know, it's interesting, um... And I have to be honest, and please remind me if we had this conversation recently on the show, if I was talking to someone else about this. But you had mentioned boiling these characters down to the core, which is, I think, important when it comes to uh, translating these characters from the page to to the modern era and especially to new viewers. Oh, right? yeah. But what I've noticed is it's been very difficult to pull characters from the 90s through in a same way where the character really is boiled down to the core because the characters were so complicated that were, like the newer characters that were created in the 90s were so complicated compared to, you know, the the characters that were created decades before them. Yeah. Well, it's also the weird thing uh... Thing of comic books having kind of a knee-jerk response to anything that was created after 1980, where it's like, no, we don't want to pay attention to that. So I feel like the reason we aren't seeing as many 90s characters is just because just all the ones from before the 90s are the ones that, you know, are the bread and butter of all these companies. Uh, you know, I think I think it's that, and I, I think that... Um... We may see a resurgence if people figure out how to distill a lot of the more complicated yeah. origins. Because I think there it's are gonna some happen. really great... A cable. With... Cable. It's going to happen with Cable. Because Cable's oh, going to be in that X-Force movie. Cable's 100%. Yeah. Cable is 90%. I am 90% certain Cable will be in that X-Force movie. And that that is... There is no more fucked up of a character than Cable. That's true. <laughs> and they will figure out a way... Well, hopefully they will figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, um, and if they can do it with Cable, and also Bishop is going to be in X Men: Days of Future Past. Oh boy! And I have no idea. Like, I don't. I don't know what that like because that part of Days of Future Past is set in like the year twenty twenty or twenty twenty four or so. Judging by the if you go through that Trask Industries uh, viral website, there's a timeline yeah. on there. That site is great. Packed with so much great information. Um, so I can't. I don't yet know if it's like Bishop is just a character who was a peer of the X-Men the year 2024, or if he's going to play a much larger role and will be like a character from the year 2080 that's traveled back to 2024 or something. Yeah, he's from like the XSE in the future or something. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're going to include all that stuff. Because I think like even with Cable, you can... I think Cable you can remove the time travel stuff and the kid of Cyclops and Jean Grey stuff. Yeah. And still have him work. Yeah. And I think... And I think that, I mean, I'm trying to even think, of all of the Marvel Universe movies, who is the newest character? Are there any other characters besides Maria Hill and, like, Agent Coulson that are relatively new? Well, I mean, Coulson was original for the, yeah. the live-action universe. Maria Hill... She was 2003 or so. She was Civil yeah. War. 
yeah, Maria Hill. Um, I'm off the top of my head. I think the next newest character to appear is oh no, I guess it's Deadpool. Yeah, like ninety um, one in, in Wolverine. Oh well, but... there there are probably some. There are like some one off power cameos. Yeah, like like Angel Salvador and Darwin and right, but like I don't know, I don't even count them because they had they were almost non entities. Okay, so if we're if we're only if we're not going to count like Deadpool because he was sort of a supporting character, a character with a full blown out arc in the film would be Venom, and <laughs> you know look at look at how inserting Venom into that story affected that franchise. Well, you like that, right? Spider-Man 3? Yeah, you liked... Well, you liked the Venom parts best, right? Oh, yeah, the best. <laughs> uh, you know, what's interesting, I I get that... It seemed to me that that was a character that Sam Raimi just didn't have an affection for. Yeah, it was forced on him, right? Yeah. That was more of a, more of an out, outside influence because he's a guy... And again, too, I think it's his age... Yeah, I think it's his age, and I and I think that uh, this is part of a larger point I was going to make. Um, I think that because of his age, he has the affinity for the characters that he grew up with. Right? Of course, yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised that within uh, the next ten years, we start to see a resurgence of characters from the '90s start to break out. Yeah, because writers like. We're in our late twenties, early thirties now, but and writers that are around our age seem to want to bring those characters back into their stories as well. Oh yeah. Um, so I think that we may see a resurgence of those characters, much in the same way that you know it's like the nostalgia thing. When in the early early to mid nineties, the seventies were huge, right? Well, yeah, and like Bendis went on this kick. I mean, like the only like Spider Woman and Luke Cage became major figures in the Marvel Universe in the early 2000s because Bendis, you know, grew up loving them in the late 70s. Yep. Uh, I think that's happening again. I mean, like, Sam Humphreys is now using Bishop and, like, Spiral and Psylocke. In yeah, a, there you and, go. And, like, the All Demon Bear. these big-time X-characters. Yeah. And, then, like, R- Reminder got that going, too, with a lot of his stuff. Um, his stuff felt very, like, Australian-era because he used, like, Lady Deathstrike and the Reavers, I think, in Uncanny X-Force. Remender did. Oh, right. So I think that, yeah, there is. And I'll, I I'm, I get a really strong, for some reason, I get a really strong 80s, 90s Spider-Man era feel from Mark Webb's take. And and all the theories about where his movies are going. Oh, uh, you, keep, you keep telling me. I still have not watched... I still have not watched Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, which... I'll, you keep I'll, telling me it's good. I, no, I mean, I didn't like it at the time. I want to watch it again. We should watch it again together All right. at some point. Because I, I, I want to see it again. I should own it. Because um, I was lukewarm on it. But, like, all the... Hearing all the actors talk, it's it, I'm, I'm kind of excited for Amazing Spider-Man 2. I mean, it's mostly, like, all the rumors. Like, about how um, the rumor is that, in addition to Rhino and Electro... Um, Vulture and Green Goblin are also going to be in this movie. That's oh, a rumor. Uh, all leading up to the Sinister Six in Amazing Spider-Man 3. Oh, oh like, stop like it. adding that with Lizard from the first one. Like, that, that's the rumor, is that they're going to mash up all their villains in the way that the Marvel Universe mashed up all their heroes. Oh, shut the front door. Yeah. 
Uh, and there's also rumors that Black Cat's going to be in this movie. Because there are a lot of actors in Amazing Spider-Man 2 who they have not said who they're playing. Uh-huh. Like, Calm Fiore is most likely Adrian Toomes. And Felicity <laughs> Felicity Jones is most likely Black Cat. Um, and then there's the whole, like, Amazing Spider-Man 4 where they're talking about doing Spider-Man spin-off movies and getting into, like, his... His, uh, his supporting cast, which in my head is, like, Silver Sable and all those characters. I don't know. Silver Sable? Your I, first go-to was Silver Sable? Well, I don't... Silver Sable, Solo, Black Cat, uh, Hypno Hustler. Hypno Hustler, of course. I don't the, know. the big wheel. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I get, I'm getting that... Grizzly, Banjo. I'm getting that feel. Maybe they'll do a movie about Banjo. <laughs> oh, God. Banjo was a character... That was a mutated hillbilly. Oh no! That um, Spider-Man ran into. So there was an, actually a really cool arc in Spectacular Spider-Man in the late '80s, where Tombstone. It was like his first appearance. He shows up and he's this major gangster from Philadelphia, and it turns out he's framed. Uh, he killed someone, and Robbie witnessed it. Robbie Robertson, and. It's all finally coming out in a trial, and they find Robbie guilty of like uh, of accessory to murder, I think. So he has to go to prison. And during all of this, Tombstone is in prison, and he winds up getting he winds up making arrangements for Robbie to be in the same prison as him. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the cell next door. And then Tombstone stages a breakout, and kidnaps Robbie to go with him and Spidey tries to stop it from happening uh, and Tombstone like separate like I think he separates his shoulder or something and like knocks him into like off the helicopter and into the wilderness outside of Philadelphia or like West Virginia and <laughs> he wanders yeah. into this back town yeah. like the rest of the story is really good and then that this story happens in the middle of it he wanders into this uh, backwoods town and they're sort of like mutated from radiation in their water and there's a child that's, like, mutated into the size of, like, the Hulk. And his name is Banjo. Uh, but the thing is, his name was already Banjo. <laughs> it wasn't like he decided to pick up a coat. His name was already Banjo. And then he mutated. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That sounds about right. It's, it's real silly. It's real silly and played for tragedy. So we're going to uh, see that in a movie soon, I'm... Oh, Lord willing. Yeah. After they run through the rest of the characters, there's nothing left. (laughs) Gotta do Banjo. Banjo. Let's do it. Banjo and, uh, all the, oh, Rocket Racer and the Prowler. I think, I mean, Prowler is a good character, right? Prowler. Prowler's actually a great character. Interestingly complicated and, uh. Good costume. And actually has, like, a really great, like, the origin of that character is, like, a really great take. There was a real big, I mean, being an outside Spider-Man fan, maybe this should have been something we talked about a couple weeks ago, but, like, it seemed like there was a big renaissance of characters in, like, the mid-80s with Spider-Man. Yes. More so than any other time. I mean, the only other time I would say is maybe um, Brand New Day, just because of the editorial mandate to only create new characters. Yeah. Uh, Well, that was Roger Stern. That was Roger Stern just, like, knocking everything out of the park at the time. Yeah, like Hobgoblin and Black Cat both come from that era. Right. I think Bill Mantlo 
created Black Cat. That was like early '80s. Um, but yeah, it, sorry, and I'm not like trying to correct you or like make you sound wrong. I'm <laughs> you know you know me. I'm like nerdy oh, yeah. and whatever. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, but it, you, you had Black Cat. You had uh, Hobgoblin was like this instant sensation uh, because yeah. of the mystery surrounding his identity and everything. And then you had, uh, oh boy, who else, who else comes out of that time? Well, oh, I, right, The Rose? Yeah, The Rose, Jack-O-Lantern or something. Oh, oh, yeah. Jack-O-Lantern? I have a poster that is, you know, uh, half, half black costume Spidey, half classic Spidey, and then, like, the heads of all of his rogues gallery on either side. Yeah. And, like, Kingpin became a big Spider-Man. Didn't he become a big Spider-Man foe in the 80s? Was that... Well, he was originally a Spider-Man foe, and yeah. then he moved over to Daredevil. But, like, his profile as a villain was raised so high by Frank Miller's work with yeah. him in Daredevil that by the time he came back to, like, Spider-Man, uh, he, was, he was this huge villain. That's cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Um... Yeah, the, uh, like Silver Sable was an '80s character, huge, huge um, sensation. The character sensation of the '80s. <laughs> but, the, but you know, a lot of that just came out of just really good storytelling. Yeah, I should read all that stuff in addition the, to everything else. The Roger Stern run is very much worth your time into the black costume era, um, because right around that time. Stern left the book before he finished the Hobgoblin story and DeFalco took it over. DeFalco and friends uh, still did some really good work. And then they ran the book for a couple of years and then Michelini took over. And then after yeah. uh, the, the book, I don't know, the Spider-Man books were strange in the late eighties. Like I guess around 87 things were just sort of, weaving in and out of the books, but there wasn't like a real, there wasn't like a real like editorial direction for any of them. Yeah. And then, and then they started like segmenting regular, regular creative teams on each of the three books. And once they did that, uh, like Michelini McFarlane and then, uh, Di Matisse and Buscema on Spectacular and uh, Peter David, uh, or no, 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 not Peter. Well, Peter David for a little bit, but then it was uh, Jerry Conway and Alex Savuik on Web of Spider Man. Um, that's when that's when like that editorial direction started to take off in all three books, and they had a lot more focus. And I think since then, that's sort of the model that they had. Yeah. Do you think? Uh, I mean, I'm wondering how big the Spider-Man movie universe can get. Like, I mean, do you, th- do you feel like there's been kind of a missed opportunity just because every Spider-Man movie has always just been a Spider-Man movie? Like, how they haven't even really delved into his super-powered supporting cast at, at all? Well, I mean, it could, be a mis- it could be seen as a missed opportunity, but what's interesting to me about the Spider-Man films is this, and, and I think that this is at the core of what Spider-Man is as a character, is that Spider-Man is a very intensely personal and uh, uh, inwardly focused superhero. Yeah. He has a lot of angst. Uh, 
up until he joined the new Avengers, he's been, he's been a solo artist, you know, he's been a, a, a solo superhero and it never worked out when he would try to work with other, uh, superheroes. And I, I think that Spider-Man connects on a certain level with so many people because of how inwardly focused and, and, um, insular he is. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people identify with that. And because of that insularity, it it automatically sort of forces the stories to be a little bit more down to earth. And I would love to see like an expansion of the universe, but it's hard to have. I think the balance that you have to find is how many, what's the breaking point of intensely personal relationships with a villain to, to cast of villains because at a certain point they're just bad guys and there's no longer an intense personal relationship for Peter Parker to have with the villain. Yeah. And I think that that's something that's pretty important for a character like Spider-Man to have because he's the only focus on the sort of flip side of the villainy. Whereas, you know, you look at like the X franchise, you wind up having a singular villain or like a small, a small core of villains going up against a larger cast of heroes. I've hated all the villains. Yeah. They've not used any good villains. Yeah. I mean, Magneto and then, I mean, that's like the mistake. It's kind of like, I'm glad Loki isn't going to be in age of Ultron because I feel like Loki is running the risk of becoming Magneto in a way. Where, like, they felt a weird need to have Magneto in every single X-Men movie, even though he's not an X-Man. Yeah. Which I feel like limits them. Like, you have I to agree. keep and, you know, to... I, I think, as I'm saying this and sort of thinking out loud of that comparison and, like, the personal relationship, do you feel like there was an opportunity missed with, like, the Sabretooth Wolverine connection? Yeah. How? The yeah. franchise so far? Well, I mean, they did it in X-Men Origins Wolverine. Right. But, eh. They could have definitely tackled that in, like, an X2. Yeah. Because um, even, like, Lady Deathstrike didn't even have... even Because, like, the character Lady Deathstrike has a personal history with Wolverine. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And they removed all of that from the movie. Just like they removed... I mean, you, you can read into X-Men 1 and say that, like... You know, Sabretooth knew who he was and just didn't say anything or something. Or, like, Mm -hmm. the amnesia bullet or whatever. So you can read into it. Um, But it's just, I mean, it's stupid. I don't know why we never got, like, why we still don't have an Apocalypse movie. I don't know. I mean, maybe Apocalypse and Mr. Sinister are too goofy. But I think they should have been in movies. You don't feel like they're gonna do a post-credits apocalypse reveal for Days of Future Past? Uh, hopefully, I mean, my I was hoping that he was gonna be obviously in the movie. I yeah, mean, Sentinel Sentinels are a big deal. Like that's great. I'm glad yeah. we're getting Sentinels. But again, we've seen the villains in X Men movies are almost always humans. Always humans. Yep. Which I I think the X Men movies get the thematic stuff with the minority persecution right. Um, they do that really well. They don't really do superheroics or adventure as well as the comics do because they don't do things like the Morlocks, right? Which would have been great. Um, 
They don't do the Hellfire Club correctly. Uh, God. The Hellfire Club is filled with people whose powers are super low budget. That's true. Like, Sebastian Shaw's powers, low budget. Harry Leland's powers are low budget. Donald Pierce is just like some, like, cybernetic makeup or whatever. Uh, I don't know. They, they, I feel like they just have kind of screwed up with that. I mean, like, Reverend Stryker only appeared in one comic book. Why did he get to be the main villain of X2? Great villain. Yeah. Great movie. But he's not even in the top 20. <laughs> I would rather see Sauron in a movie, damn it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is me being a weirdo. Let's get some Sauron. Let's get some pterodactyl mutant action. <laughs> let's, yeah, yeah, let's get some T-mutes. I love Mr. Sinister. I think that... So, you've heard Claremont's original origin for Sinister, right? Yeah, where he's originally supposed to be a child. What do you think... Do you think that was a better call than what we eventually got? No, I love I love what we have now. Yeah. Because it's so creepy. He mm-hmm. is the creepiest... I mean, he's a Victorian England geneticist, which that, like, setting alone... You know, like, what, London in the 1880s or whatever? Like, Jack yeah. the Ripper times? And he's a creepy geneticist with crude, crude instruments working for a shadowy, immortal figure. Like, that's a cool movie, even. Yeah. Like, fucking Johnny Depp is Mr. Sinister. <laughs> and it's a musical, and it's Sweeney Todd. Um, Actually, Johnny, like, if they could throw the money at him, that is, like, really yeah. interesting casting. <laughs> um, but I, think, I love that. I love, I mean, I love everything Kieran Gillen did with him, too. Like, I just, I love the idea of just a super, super creepy, self-obsessed... He's just, like... Mr. Sinister, to me, is a character. I mean, he's all... He's way too personal. He's all about genetics. He's all about your body. Like, he's a, he's a villain that's all about, like, stealing your... He's your the body. John Mayer of supervillains. Yeah, he's... Like, all, all of you mutants' bodies are Wonderlands. Yeah, I'm gonna bigger get than your body. Yeah. Uh, like, he's all about, like, getting into your genetic code and fucking with the things that make you you. Like, that's really dark and creepy and gross. And the yeah. fact that he keeps all them clones of himself around and just clones everything, it's just... Ugh. I love it. And I love I love his stupid tattered cape. It's great. Uh that cape. It's amazing. That cape is something else. Where do you get a cape like that made? I don't know. Do you make it in one sheet and then just like well, tear it tear it in equal equal size strips? Yeah, when I actually made that cape, that's what I did. Perfect. Because I had to make one for Frank to wear an X-Men prop. <laughs> oh, that's right. Um Which is really easy. You just get like a Dracula cape because they're already black and red. Yeah. It just works. It looks great. Um, nice. The shitty thing about the X-Men, X-Men movies are characters like Mystique and Juggernaut are A-list. Like, they're A-list enough to to hold down, I think, whole movies. I agree. Um, and they didn't get that. Like, Juggernaut just got wasted. Yeah. Juggernaut, uh, man, I, I love Juggernaut as a character. And... Yeah. That's a that that's one that's one that I wish could come back and get a little like a fresh coat of paint. That's why I was hoping that X Men First Class was a hard reboot, just because I want I want the deck cleared. I mean, like yeah. to me, an X Men movie, if they would just if you just like adapt, <laughs> you know, Night of the Sentinels from the cartoon. Yeah, it's like those two episodes, and then. The final decision, the season finale. 
Yeah. And maybe one or two. Like, that, that's the perfect X-Men movie to me. This one's for you, yeah. Marv. It's so good. I mean, it, it's like all the... I mean, to, I mean, this is also, again, I grew up at that time, so of course I think this. But I think those, you know, that cartoon of those episodes really hit home all the different characters, and none of them are wasted, and they're all well-rounded and interact interestingly. And... They did. They did. You know, speaking of missed opportunities, uh, I was always disappointed in the show because Iceman was a one-episode character. Yeah. Oh, man. I... I that's one of my favorite characters and my favorite uh, mutants and I was just so frustrated and disappointed. So now are you how do you feel about the way Iceman was in those movies? Uh I liked it. I liked Bobby Drake. I liked Bobby Drake as kind of a smart mouth, insecure teen. Yeah. Trying to figure out and, and I think especially given the situation in which he was placed, I think that um, I think they did a good job of staying fairly true to his character. In fact, better than uh, a lot of people seem to have been to his character. I don't know what it is about Bobby Drake that it just doesn't seem like there are many character like writers who have a handle on how to write him. Yeah, I think Bendis is doing a great job with young Bobby Drake. Oh, I agree. All new X Men. Yeah. I love that. Um, I mean, Marjorie Lou just did a really, really good Iceman arc on Astonishing X-Men. I think it was like four issues where Iceman yeah. gets a Apocalypse Death Seed and, oh. and becomes this all-powerful being and it stars every single one of his exes. <gasps> I so, can check this out. So, Opal... <laughs> Opal comes back. Get some Opal action. Uh, Lorna Dane's there. Mystique. It's all good. Um, oh, then I, I definitely have to check that out. Yeah, I, I was. I don't know. I was hoping everything would be re- rebooted, but I don't, but also, who knows what's going to happen at the end of Days of Future Past? Yeah. I okay. Mean, yeah. So here's here is the completely implausible, crazy, every fanboy wins ending. Okay, so um, the the future, so the guys come back from the future, but because of all the timeline muckraking in Days of Future Past, uh, they finally stop the threat, right, whatever the threat will be, uh, and the problem is that the present is altered, and they find themselves in the same present as all of the Marvel Studios films. <laughs> Whoops! Wouldn't that be? Ah, wouldn't that be the hugest thing? That would be. Well, I mean, that would be serendipitously like perfect for the idea of like crossing all of these over with each other. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the way they've built up the Marvel Cinematic Universe, though, I don't even know if they could ever fit the X Men into it. I mean, they, it would have to be. Oh, we're just now hearing about mutants. Like mutants yeah. are just now happening. Just. I guess they could do, but it just would feel, in a yeah, way, like, I... how did you not know about these? <laughs> yeah, and it feels kind of, it would feel kind of tacked on. Yeah. Like, I kind of, I don't know, in part, partially, I, I like, kind of the idea. I don't know. This also might be because I grew up during the 90s when Marvel themselves were very, very strict about keeping everything segregated. 
where like my X-Men were my X-Men. I didn't ever have to worry about the Avengers. Yeah. Uh, whereas I'm sure that people that grew up in like the seventies and eighties probably have a harder Jones for it. Or even people that just started reading in the past like seven years as Marvel's tried to unify everything again. Yeah. They probably well, feel differently. Well, you know, it's interesting though too, because all of that crossover, like it, it happened in the seventies and then it didn't happen as much aside from like secret war. Right. Like, that was the first yeah. big company, but well, that was almost yeah. even separate. And Inferno, like, I feel like the 80s were almost defined by, like, Spider-Man swinging, swinging overhead in a panel. Just be oh. like... Yeah, you're right. where, I completely take that back. To see I where, completely take that back. Well, but it wasn't, it wasn't so much, like, Marvel... It wasn't so much, like, whole stories built around it as just, like, gratuitous cameos like that. Oh, yeah. Um, there, whereas, there was certainly a lot of that. But they wound up... Uh, like, Inferno was the first time that an X-Men like event affected the rest of the Marvel universe in a way that you saw in other books. Yeah. And that was, uh, well, we were talking about Jack O'Lantern earlier. That was when Philip McIndale, who was the second hobgoblin at that time, uh, made a deal with, uh, Nastri. I can't oh, yeah. remember how you pronounce that. Well, it's, uh, I think it's Naster because it's supposed to be Sim Naster, Sim Naster. Sinister? What? Yeah. I never got that. Sim Naster? Sim Naster. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Uh, that's when he made they made their deal and turned him into the Demo Goblin. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember him from Maximum Carnage. Oh, the video oh, game. That was actually... So, Philip McIndale actually became a demon. Yeah. had, like, demonic Hobgoblin powers, and then they separated them. Oh, they separated them in the early '90s, and it became he became a person again. But they separated the demonic entity, and the demonic entity became Demo Goblin. It was a demon hobgoblin with like no soul, like flying around and murdering people. <laughs> um, what I'm trying to think, what character? Ah, shit! I just knock over all my action figures. Ah! This is gonna stay in. Um. <laughs> um Running commentary, who are you picking up? No, I mean, I'm just going to let my uncanny, my uncanny Avengers section fell over. Oh, okay. Which happened to also knock off Falcon, who is standing next to them. But anyway, uh, are there any characters in the movies that you feel are almost better in the movies, or that you like in the movies more than you ever have in the comics? Great question. Ah. Because... Um... I will say one that you're thinking of immediately: Black Widow and Wolverine. Oh, are ones that I like in their movie counterparts way more than I ever have in the comics. Yeah, I'd have to go. I definitely have to go with Black Widow, and I would have said Hawkeye until Fraction's book came out. Hmm. Um. I think. Uh, I think those two for sure. I mean, I, I'm trying to go back. Like, I've read a lot of Black Widow comics now, so I have an appreciation and I can enjoy, and I'm very fascinated by her character, because she, yeah. she is a very, very fascinating character. I just have never read any of her books, so I'm learning a lot about them, about her. But yeah. I, I feel like if there's just something, and I don't know... I'm a very visual person, like a moving visual person. So I uh -huh. love, uh, I love seeing Black Widow in action. 
because the her, the way she moves as a character, you can't. I don't think you can capture that in comics. The way yeah. that she moves on screen, uh, and I surprisingly, from when I first heard she was cast as Black Widow, I think Scarlett Johansson to me is almost you, you can't remove her from that character. Yeah, uh, and I I get kind of mad that they haven't adopted Black Widow's movie look into the Marvel universe more. <laughs> Like, I want her to have short hair. Give her a damn haircut. Yeah. Um. I Not necessarily superheroes. I would say uh, Pepper Potts and Happy Hogan. Oh, well, yeah. Um, I think they're far more interesting in the films than in the books. I think, um, yeah. Fraction did some good stuff with Pepper Potts. Yeah, but I need to go back and reread those now that I have an appreciation for her and see how much sticks out. Because I remember liking her in the order. Yeah. Um, but I not anything else. Because so many of them, like in the '60s, she was just his girlfriend, or she was just the girl that was around. Like uh-huh. I don't care about her doing anything interesting. Um. And like with Wolverine, I just think that Hugh Jackman is such a great performer and Mm -hmm. captures i don't know he's much more interesting to me the comic book wolverine i think has become way too invincible and way too overexposed well not not for much longer why well you know the rumor right yeah what's the rumor oh if it was on bleeding cool i don't know because i don't (laughs) well it's it's sort of in the stories now that he was his healing, his healing factor's gone. Yeah, I knew they were doing that. Um, and uh, the next arc, the next arc, I think is called Killable. Yeah, I think it just started. I was wanting to pick it up, but I didn't. and it all looks like they're pointing towards killing Wolverine again because you know he died. Uh, well, technically, I guess it was a scroll posing as Wolverine hmm. that died uh, in 99. Oh, yeah, that didn't last long, though. Yeah. Like, what was his solo book doing when that scroll died? Wasn't oh, that... That boy. was an immediate... Is, that, wasn't that... That might have been when Rob Liefeld was doing a story on it. <laughs> hey, he's oh, dead. Oh, no! Uh, like, Larson was... Larson it was at the Larson era? ...was writing Wolverine. And, okay, so yeah, it was Larson writing Wolverine, I think, at the time. Eric Larson. And he died He died in that crossover leading up to the 12. Yeah. Huh? And Dark it was era. only, like, they might have had, like, one more story where, that was already ongoing. And then they got to, like, the 150th issue, and that was when <coughs> they put the adamantium back on his bones. Yeah. And turned him back into... Uh, Wolverine Wolverine, and not just Bone Wolverine. And not just weird, noseless Bone Wolverine. Oh, man. So Noseless great. Wolverine. Everybody loves it. <laughs> it's such an odd character design, too. Well, you know I how see. big, like, protagonists without noses were in the mid-90s. Oh, yeah, yeah. Big they time. All over the place. Noses. I mean, Speed 2 Cruise Control, starring Jason Patrick with no nose. Oh, are you talking about Speed 2 Nose Control? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. TLC's album, Nosy Sexy Cool. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And then uh, Montel Jordan's song, This Is How He Knows It. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Disney's The Hunch Knows of Noser Dame. Yep. The Hunch No-Nos. Ah, listeners, we're making all these up. <laughs> Guys, spoiler alert. Don't go on Wikipedia and check. Yeah, as summer's winding down, we got we only have Thor to look forward to, and then we're in 2014, movie-wise. Yeah. yeah, I I still have to catch up on so many from this past summer. I've been working. I gotta I gotta just like take a. I hope to have a day where I can just go to the movies and watch two or three. Yeah, uh, World's End is great. Oh man, um, World's End was great. Uh, Wolverine was awesome. Um, yeah, if you want to hear my thoughts on Wolverine, you can listen to the iFanboy podcast about that. Yes. Because I got to be on that, thanks to Paul Montgomery. Yeah. Um, and also because no one else in iFanboy wanted to watch the Wolverine. <laughs> Which is strange to me. Uh, well, Josh has kids. Josh has a kid. And okay. I think Connor, Connor was traveling a bunch. And oh, like okay. hit, the movie came out at a weird time. And then also neither of them are the biggest X-Men people. Yeah. Uh, and I am a huge one. Especially that storyline. And it was uh, very entertaining. It was an actual film. That's great. I, yeah, uh, it's been a good, I, overall, I think it's been a good year for superhero films. Yeah, I mean, Iron Man 3 was good. Uh, well, I mean, I didn't like Man of Steel. Um, I that's love because that's because you're not. That was that was a Superman movie written and shot for teenage girls who love Twilight. And, and it was it was like it felt so. I'm not saying I I liked I liked it enough. I didn't think it was as horrible as everyone. I, I disagree in that sense, but like, I felt like as I was watching it, I could feel the focus grouping turning it into something that like they really, really wanted teenage girls to come see. Yeah, is there a master cut of uh, Bella falling in love with Superman? Because I feel like the cinematography of both of those movies, yes, are seamless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could just really, and I've only seen like trailers for Twilight movies and the first twenty minutes of the first one that my sister put on. Yeah. Uh, and I just... All blues and grays. Superman, all, Man of Twilight. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see where that franchise goes. Not, yeah. Not to dive into Ben Affleck as Batman at 55 minutes into the show, but... Hey, I like that idea. <laughs> I like I like Ben Affleck a lot as an actor. I think he's a solid writer. I think he's a great director. He's a guy who is a film nerd. Yeah. He's a film nerd who just happens to be an incredibly successful film nerd, and uh, I think that I think that given where he seems to be right now, I think I think he'd do a great Batman. I think he just I uh, Man of Steel did the good thing of making me not care about any of those movies <laughs> from now yeah. on. So I'm not invested in them. I don't have an interest in how they do any of their movies until. They make a unanimously good one. Yeah. Um, but Ben Affleck has uh, Daredevil going against him, which I think is not fair. That was ten years ago. And, and it wasn't... Uh, 
Uh, yeah, I'll give you that. And also, his performance, not the worst part in that movie, either. No, the direct on, The direction. Evernescence? Yeah, the soundtrack, direction, writing, it, all that was horrible. And yeah. I, I think that Ben Affleck also has, unlike anyone else, I would say unlike anyone else that has played Batman before, Ben Affleck ha- is in the shadow of Ben Affleck. Because to me, yeah. I feel like Ben Affleck is more famous for just being Ben Affleck than for being an actor. Yeah. I feel like he's he's one of those, like, guys. Like, he's too big. It's almost like how The Rock almost couldn't be a Marvel superhero because he's just The Rock. He's just yeah. Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. Uh, like, you can't you can't not see Dwayne Johnson. Like, also, like, how you could not see Vin Diesel if they made Vin Diesel any character other than, like, Absorbing Man. <laughs> right. You know, like, unless it's a character that's very, very close to Vin Diesel, it's going to be hard to not see him as that. I feel like Ben Affleck suffers from that. He suffers from... Just being Ben Affleck. I mean, Christian Bale was a nobody when he got cast. Yeah. Uh, Michael Keaton was just a comedian. Yeah, George Clooney. George Clooney was not. He was just on ER. Yeah, he was just on ER. Batman and Robin was one of his first movies. Yeah, out of sight. Well, I mean, one of his first after becoming like a star on ER. Yeah. And I guess Val Kilmer was kind of a name. Val Kilmer was. Val Kilmer. Definitely was a bigger name, but even he didn't stick around that long. He was only in the one movie. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, my only diss on Ben Affleck is, like, I loved Argo. He was the least memorable part of it. Like, I don't... I didn't think he was bad, but I think everything else in that movie was so awesome. Oh, God, it was so good. Um, That, you know, Ben Affleck to me just kind of was like, oh, yeah, he was in that movie, too. Right, right. It was fine, whatever. So, just an interesting, weird, weird choice. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I'm, I'm personally excited for the fall. Um, leading out of all of these movies, I know I have to catch up, and I'm hoping to do that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but outside of that, don't forget too. This fall, we have Batman: Arkham Origins coming out, which I am super jazzed about. That is a video game. It is. Oh, it is. Arkham City is maybe (laughs) like top five games for me ever. It was so good. Uh, Do you do you sing that to R. Kelly's Gotham City? Oh, I always do. Okay, (laughs) of course I do. Arkham City. (laughs) Uh, That yeah, I'm telling you. I know you're not much of a game guy. I hear great things. But it is... It is the most accurate... Like, it feels the most like being Batman that you could be short of putting on a cape and a cowl. Yeah. I should try those out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would I would highly recommend it. Uh, start with Arkham Asylum and then go to Arkham City and then Arkham Origins is going to be the prequel. It's, uh, I think, I think they're all highly worth your time. I will do that at some point. Eventually. Well, well, first read all of those comics from the 80s you were talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah, I need to do that. And then catch up on all the TV series that you've been mentioning. Uh Uh-huh. And then, uh, some books that you had talked about. There's never enough time. Yeah, yeah, then all the TV series, and then, and then jump on that. Okay. So, I'm gonna quit my job, and... 
and just pray to God they don't turn off my electricity. There you go. Right. Yeah, it's, it's race the clock. Awesome. Well, that's that'll about brings us to a close, I would say. Yeah, we've now covered... that we've plotted the demise of, of Brett's life. Yeah, guys, I gotta go. There's so much stuff that's going on. There's so much stuff on my queue. Uh, next week on the show, we will be reading Time Breakers, number one through five, from 1997, written by Rachel Pollock and penciled by Chris Weston. This is a very little-known miniseries from DC Comics, from their Helix imprint that you might remember is where Transmetropolitan got its start. We are reading this at the behest of our good friend Nicole Dressel, who will be returning to the show on a book club episode. Uh, as this is out of print, it might be kind of hard to find, but you can get issues either on Amazon or on mycomicshop.com. We will have links to help you buy the issues on our website. Yeah, so that sounds really exciting. I'm uh, I'm really excited to read that. Yeah, um, while you're at mattandbrettlovecomics.com, you can check out some of our back issues. Like, uh, we talked to DC Pearson about Saga, number oh, one through six, um, which was great. And we also, uh, at one point, talked to Mr. Christopher Daniels, yes, TNA the Impact Fallen Wrestling, Angel. the Fallen Angel himself, about Thor, uh, God of Thunder, number one through five. Both things that we should follow up with him about. Yeah. For, the, for the second arcs, because those have concluded. I agree. Um, and uh, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, Facebook. If you want to, if you actually want to see any of our social media presences, you can click on the uh, Who Loves Comics tab on our site, and that'll direct you in the right direction. And we love hearing from you guys, so tell us what you think about this or any past episode on our website or Facebook page at facebook.com slash theylovecomics. Also... <laughs> Leave us a review in iTunes, because that helps us out. Yeah, yeah. Rate us and review us anywhere that you possibly can. Please. Uh, tag it on a billboard. Um, write it on a note and pass it to a friend in class. And have uh, them tweet it at us. You know, put it on a sticker and tag it on an old lady's back. And take a twit pic and tweet it at us. Yeah, yeah. Make a vine. Make a vine of you screaming the name of the show in the face of a stranger. And then take a twit pic and tweet it at us? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, um, carve it. Take a, take a toothpick and carve it into the fruits that are at the front counter at Jamba Juice. Oh, wow. That, yeah, and take a toothpick. I'll, yeah. I'll encourage that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, as always, thanks to our producer, Benjamin Reed, who does everything we don't know how to do. Um, also, side note, uh, every five likes we get on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theylovecomics, we will be releasing a free digital download code for a Marvel comic book. So, yeah, so that's a reason. It up, guys. Yeah, that's a reason to like us on Facebook. Yeah. we give away free comics. We love comics. We want you to love comics too. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and to Ben Rahib, you are the blockbuster of our summer. Oh, I thought you were gonna go like you are the blockbuster of our Marauders. <laughs> blockbuster harpoon. I love it. Riptide. Anyway. Oh man, you are the shocker of our uh, Sinister Syndicate. Oh, yeah. The Beatle. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, until next time, I'm I'm Brett still. And, and I am still Matt. And I'm still in Queens. And I'm still in Brooklyn. Oh, I didn't do auto-tune that time. Uh, uh, and we love comics. We love comics. Love it? We love it. We love it.